Hello, you're listening to Underscore, a podcast by the Chicago Graphic Design Club, dedicated to bring you conversations with Chicago's creative leaders. On this podcast, we'll explore the craft, theory, and practice of graphic design, plus discuss bold ideas that push the boundaries of what's possible and ways in which we can create a more thoughtful and inclusive community. To learn more about us, visit our website at www chicagographicdesign.club or find us on social media. Special thanks to the Chicago band 80 Slang for our theme music. Hello, today I'm your host, Christian Solorzano, and I'm thrilled to be speaking with David Siren someone who plays a huge role in Chicago's design community. In 2002, he graduated from RISD with a BFA in graphic design, and over the past two decades, he's been an educator at DePaul University, Sputnik Press, the Chicago Portfolio School. He's been co-president of AIGA Chicago, co-founder of the creative collaborative, The Post Family, and his work has been recognized by Communication Arts, Print Magazine, AIGA, Society of Typographic Arts, New York Times, and the list goes on. Today, he's a managing director and partner at One Design Company, leading teams focus on creating powerful experiences rooted in research, design, and strategy. And last year in 2022, we toured One Design, so I'm very happy to once again be doing something together uh, through this podcast. So welcome, David. I'm very happy to be speaking with you. How are you? Good. Thanks for having me, Christian. I'm excited. So I want to start off our conversation with the number one question that I have for you, which is when the words Chicago and design come to mind, what do you think of? What do those two words mean to you? Sure. I guess I think of a, in my experience, a pretty unique collaborative sharing community. Um, and I think that that is the thing that has kept me in the city. It's the thing that inspires me about the community in, in Chicago and what we're doing from a design standpoint. Um, and it's, it's it, to me, it just feels like a very unique space, a very unique place. I don't think there's a, a style. I don't necessarily think there's an approach, but I do think there's a um, hardworking, very collaborative, very open and very supportive uh, community in the city. And that, that's the thing that kept me here since day one. Yeah, and, and you've certainly played a, a huge role in keeping that alive throughout the years. So could you tell us a little bit about your relationship with Chicago? Where are you from and and how did you, what, what led you to being in the city? Sure. Um, so I'm from Milwaukee. Um, and I grew up kind of immersed in my in, in design. My dad was a designer. My mom was a painter. Uh, dad had a studio. So I, I grew up seeing design, art, and the privilege of growing up and being kind of immersed and surrounded by design and art. Um, and, you know, growing up in Milwaukee, we would uh, all, you know, often take trips down to Chicago, whether it was for school or my parents, um, you know, we go to museums, you go to Michigan Avenue, you, you do all, all of that sort of thing you typically do as an out-of-towner coming in. Um, so when I went to, but when I went to school, 
um, and then came back uh, in about 2002, came back to Milwaukee for a little bit. That's where I had my first real official job in graphic design. Um, and my now wife and I made a decision to uh, move in together. And we kind of, you know, we didn't want to move to one of the coasts, even though I think we had both had had ambitions to either go to New York or maybe San Francisco. Um, but we thought, okay, if we're going to do this and have a stepping stone in our relationship, maybe we we try this out a little bit closer to home in case something doesn't work out. I don't know if yeah. I should say that, but um, <laughs> and we, you know, we just we both. Um, she was teaching in Milwaukee. I was at this design studio called Jack White Design at the time, and. Um, we both decided Chicago was a place to go. So we, you know, quite honestly left our jobs and I went freelance and she, um, we, we took a trip down to Chicago. She got a job on the first day in, in a gallery and we moved into Ravenswood and I freelanced for about a year. Um, and that was really my first real introduction to Chicago. So, you know, if I go back to the thing I was saying, when you're visiting from Milwaukee and you do all the touristy things, even even the museum things are kind of touristy. You don't really get a sense for the neighborhoods all around Chicago. You don't get a sense for what's happening outside of the loop. Um, and and we were hooked. And and we you know found our way here. And uh, there's much more to tell about why we decided to stay. But you know honestly, we never left. Um, and we it was. Was it 2003 or 2004 that we made that move and kind of transported our lives down here? Mm -hmm. So I, I didn't know that your father was a designer and your mother a painter, you said, right? Yeah. yeah. So what was the, some of that paraphernalia that you grew up around? What were some of those? What was in the house? So um, my parents were massive book collectors, which I continue to be. Um, my, you know, they, they had really interesting artwork on the walls, but not a ton. My mom didn't put a ton of her work up. Um, she's an abstract expressionist painter. Um, dad certainly didn't put, you know, design work up. Uh, well, I guess there were a couple interesting like posters up on the wall, not, not his own work, but it was more in his studio where I was really surrounded by um, de design and design methods and design crafts. So he was an industrial designer by training. Um, and, you know, his studio was, he had two spaces while I was growing up. One was right across the street. And then he moved to a place that was maybe four blocks away. Um, so we would do everything there. I mean, everything from, you know, carving Halloween pumpkins to making dioramas. And it was really interesting when you are in first grade and or kindergarten and you get that diorama assignment and everybody is doing, you know, opening up a shoebox and doing that sort of thing. Dad, being an industrial designer, was teaching me how to cut and score uh, cardboard <laughs> with an exacto <laughs> knife, and like, and how to use hot glue and foam core, and it was, it was awesome, you know. And then we would, so you walk in with these really kind of elaborate dioramas constructed from scratch, and um, you know, I learned a lot through that. And we would go to the studio Saturdays and Sunday mornings, and we would make uh, like costumes that I would wear throughout the day again, like out of cardboard and, and everything. But so that was cool. I mean, that was like the earliest thing I really remember. And it was always, they were always making, they're always creating something. And I think mm -hmm. that, that influenced me a ton in the, you know, graphic design sense. Um, I was around 
his team, which was like, you know, it was 13 people. It was, it was a decent sized studio and everything from, you know, at the time stock photos would come in books that came in the mail and they would have these subscriptions, communication arts, and they were all a part of AIGA at the time. And I remember when they got, um, they were very early digital adopters. So, you know, they, they were a Mac based studio too, but then there was still this huge amount of analog design uh, uh, craft involved in what they were doing. I mean, you know, Letra set was everywhere and mm -hmm. uh, I don't know, it was cool. It was, it was a very interesting, looking back on it, it was a very interesting hybrid time where again, there was still so much handmade making going on, but at the same time, you know, in my mind, all of these cool young designers, artists were doing amazing things on these black and white mats. And it was, it was cool to see. Yeah. And was there, was there a moment where it clicked in your head that this was what you wanted to do? I didn't want to do graphic design. Mm -hmm. uh, I really didn't. In fact, I didn't even, when I went to school, it was for photography. Mm -hmm. um, I, there was a moment when I asked my dad, so he did, you know, they had their own work up on their walls in the studio and they would have these uh, boards of various logos they did or posters or whatever. And I remember being, you know, maybe early, maybe 10, 11 or something. And I was in the studio and I asked dad, so what did you do? You know, which, which one of these did you make? And I remember him saying, well, he didn't make these, like this creative director did this or this design team did this. Mm -hmm. Um, and it kind of broke my heart. I didn't understand. I was like, oh, I thought, you know, this person who grew up making things with me and teaching me how to make, teaching me how to make things, teaching things, how to, teaching me how to craft and, you know, kind of set type early on, or he wasn't making anymore. You know, now I know what he was doing was running a studio and making yeah. it operate and getting new business and leading client relationships. But I felt I was, I just did not, it it disillusioned me to graphic design as a craft. <laughs> I just remember thinking, well, that's, I don't want to do that. I have no desire to ever do that. So yeah. it wasn't until much, well, there was a moment in college when I decided to, to major in it, but um, yeah, it wasn't, um, it wasn't his work that, in, that made me want to do graphic design. I do remember, you know, maybe late middle school, early high school, we would take the bus, um, took a city bus to back and forth to, to school. And there was a stop on uh, water in Wisconsin Avenue in Milwaukee. And there was this bookstore in this beautiful iron block building um, called uh, Schwartz Bookstore. It's no longer there. I think it's turned into a place called Boswell, um, but it's no longer in that corner of Milwaukee. Anyway, you'd inevitably wait 15 minutes for the next bus when we'd get off to transfer. And we went in and um, they had a huge magazine section. And I, you know, at the time, looking back on it, I didn't realize I was looking at David Carson's work, but I was really drawn to Raygun magazine. Mm -hmm. And I just remember thinking, oh, if this is graphic design, this is really cool. And that was at the era where it was, you know, late 90s, early 2000s, very experimental magazine from a layout standpoint. And, you know, being a kid into music, well aware of like at the time Rolling Stone and Spin Magazine, but this was totally fresh and it was super interesting. Um, and that that kind of drew me in. That made me think that was really uh, an interesting thing to do. It, it 
I think Carson's work reminds me a lot of my mom's work as a painter. It's very loose, very gestural, very collage, printmaking, aesthetic and sensibility, you know, not graphic design in a formal sense at all. And that I found that really interesting, um, really exciting. And I also, you know, also at the time, there was this really interesting electronic music scene in Milwaukee that again, like not knowing who these folks were at the time, you look back on it, Cody Hudson was doing work for this thing called Drop Base Network that was in Milwaukee. And there's a whole graphic design vibe around what they were doing from the records, the record stores to the parties. And um, it's funny, Nick Adam of Span and I have talked about this a little bit. I think we were both really intrigued and involved in that community at the time. And it had a massive influence on me in terms of, um, thinking about visual culture, graphic design, what that did, what that represented. And so that was the thing that kind of leaned me back towards graphic design. Yeah, I I, I like that because I, I do, when you were mentioning Raygun and David Carson, I think that type of graphic design had an attitude and it wasn't, and it wasn't just solely the, the, its intention wasn't solely for profit, but yeah. it was almost as this catalyst for conversation and like new ideas without like a hard purpose of, you know, these are the outcomes that we want when we're producing these things. So I like that. And, and um, so artwork looks like, I mean, I, not to like just interject, but I've always, you know, it's interesting when I see something that you do for Chicago Graphic Design Club, it yeah. seems hugely influenced by that sort of, you know, it, it's interesting. I don't know if I would call it graphic design or design. It feels much more like it's using the medium and the forms of design in an expressive way which is somewhat different yeah well i i am inspired by a lot of a lot of music a lot of electronic music and i just love the risks that graphic design sometimes takes and i think the graphic design for me it's a it's a it's a space where i could break all the rules that i'm not allowed to do in my job so sure. that's why you always see me combining different typefaces that would never be allowed to like go together. So sure. um, so it's fun, and I and I, and yeah, thank you for the compliment, and I'm glad, I'm glad you're noticing that because that's <laughs> that's certainly uh something that I strive for. Even even the name underscore is uh is a huge tribute to the band Underworld, uh the electronic the electronic duo. So um, so yeah, there's a lot that's of so cool that whole era <laughs> of like tomato i remember thinking yeah exactly i don't know what happened to that group but like to have music that at the time was so interesting and forward thinking and i mean we're talking about chicago so now yeah. we're talking about a group out of scotland but that has a huge debt to the house music scene in chicago and then yeah. layer of graphic design and then the videos that they were doing it was fascinating it felt like all like one collective that was just making work, pushing boundaries, having conversation with audiences around the globe. It was super exciting. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. And we've asked, so tomatoes on our list of people that we want to invite and we've, we've reached out to them, but we haven't heard back. So um, we'll, we'll continue to do so. Cause I'm a, I'm a huge fan of their work. Yeah. And, uh, and I also think that some of that provocative graphic design, I think, it respects the audience because it's sometimes making the audience work to understand what it's trying to communicate. Like sure. things aren't always just so simple and straightforward. The typography sort of like forces you to 
to like sometimes flip the page or to like get really close to her and like figure out what it's trying to say so you can like decipher it. So I I like it because I think sometimes in the work that we do professionally, it's so safe and it's so dumb proof, which mm-hmm. I think is great. I think we should make products accessible, but I think there's also a time and place for um, making, making things be a little bit more challenging and sort of having that dialogue with the audience where you're not just giving them something so directly and saying like, this is what it says, but you're sort of making them work for it. So I've I've always really, really admired that. And, and the, and the design club has in the past there, there's been, there's been some posts that since then we've deleted because we, we were really trying to play with like vibrating colors (laughs) and some things you just can't do on screen, you know? Sure. Sure. (laughs) Well, I mean, it's, it's, you know, vibrating colors, contrast, it, it, it really comes down to, you know, what's the intent? What is, how accessible do you want something to be? And you're speaking to and building a broad community. Design club is doing is meant to be inclusive, meant to draw, it seems at least my impression. Yeah, no, that's inclusive and draw people in, which is different than, you know, maybe an obscure concert flyer, yeah, that is, <laughs> I, I don't know, intended to not necessarily be the clearest piece of communication, but put across some sort of vibe or, or, yeah. or aesthetic for a niche audience. And I think those are, you know, questions, conversations that we should all be having right now. Like, who are we speaking to? And we are we making sure we're connecting in the right way and allowing people to connect? I'm going off on a tangent. Yeah, no, no, I totally, I totally get what you're saying. So, um, so I want to know about, so today you are your partner at One Design, and you're doing a lot of what I'm assuming just business development, leading teams. What are are you still? Do you still find yourself in the position where you're actually like making things, or how do you, how are you continuing to practice your craft today? I see you do a lot of photography on your Instagram. I see a lot of that, but um, I'm you. I'm just curious about what mediums are you exploring today, or kind of work are you making? Sure. I, I think, I mean, part of my focus at the studio is making sure that people have the tools and the spaces to do the work they need to do. Mm-hmm. And um, sometimes that means doing all of the things you just mentioned, you know, working with, I've got, you know, we've got an amazing team of designers, writers, strategists, and developers, and also an amazing team of folks focused on accounts and operations and the people side of the business and HR. And, you know, it's it's a big group of us that uh, pushes everything forward. But, you know, sometimes you step in over here and you're focused on, like you said, business or process and making sure everybody has understands what the point of view of the studio is from a process standpoint. There are still times where you know, last week, there were a few of us working on a project for a beverage company. And, you know, in terms of getting hands in the work, we're cutting things out. We're playing with type. We're playing with hierarchy. We're, you know, I'm still opening up Illustrator files or Figma and 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 playing around and, and, and trying some things and seeing how they, how they shake out. But I also don't want to take sort of the the power and the point of view away from the other designers who are leading the work so it's it's a delicate balance and yeah. i think really making sure people feel empowered i i'm sure many many folks have had the experience of 
working with a director at a studio who sits down, takes the mouse away and like does something and like changes the work you're doing. And mm -hmm. I, you know, remember every time that happened, learned a lot through doing it, but also didn't, um, it can leave interesting scars on you as a designer yeah. from a confidence standpoint. So, and I think, I think it's a push and pull, but we, you know, we try to not really do that at the studio, but we try to have it be much more of a, of a, of a collaboration. Um, that is, it's, the root of your question though, you know, what kind of work am I still making? I do, you know, going back to my early love of photography, still try to practice that. Um, I went back to teaching um, recently after taking a year off and I, you know, I'm teaching a type fundamental class right now because that helps me stay in touch with this thing that I love about graphic design, which is mm -hmm. communication, typography, and the, in that whole art and skill and craft. Uh, so that keeps me in touch. Um, and then also, if I'm not making something actively at the studio, um, I'm making things with my daughter, my wife. And really, you know, in particular, I want my daughter to see what's interesting about a career in the arts and what's what's um, empowering about being able to make the things you think of. And it's silly, but we're working on a she's she wants to write a long form book or novel and I'm working with her and we're just you know I'm showing her in InDesign how to set up page styles and type styles and she's writing it and I'm typesetting it and she's playing the art director role and she's telling me what sort of typography she wants and and I'm in turn I'm teaching her about serif serif typography and like you know m dashes and ampersands she's seven <laughs> and a half but she's kind of like retaining some of it and it's awesome it's a, you know it's not the most expressive design but it's also like getting into the weeds and we're designing a book together it's really cool it's that is really cool I love that yeah and I and I see I think that you the other day you posted uh you had you you guys were looking at some proofs like some print proofs of like a layout or something and I was yes. like that's really cool <laughs> well she wanted to know you know she <laughs> there are these little questions that you realize like you know nobody actually knows these unless you're gone through a process yeah. of design and making and she wanted to know you know how to have the book have a certain texture and then all of a sudden you're saying to a seven-year-old well that's called a spot varnish that's called a spot varnish <laughs> And we design the book later after we know how thick the book is. And, but you still want to do the art for the front and the back. And you're teaching these, you know, almost the lessons you learn in an internship. Yeah. To kid. And it's a lot of fun. And then she wanted to know like, what's a crop mark? And then we had a whole conversation around and it kind of felt like Carson, like David Carson would leave the crop marks on. <laughs> I was like, I love how this looks. And, and uh, you know, I think she's, assimilating some of it absorbing some of it but uh she's certainly around it which will be cool for her <laughs> I hope, when she gets older i don't know. maybe she'll hate design like i did <laughs> no that's awesome i love that so i want to i want to transition to a question that so you you've done a lot of a lot of stuff for the community over the over many many years and something i'm always curious about hearing from people is what are what do you think are the ingredients that make up a strong design community? I think I mean I would talk about I think the ingredients that make up Chicago's strong design community. Okay. But I think that's all I can really speak to. Okay. Um, but for me, you know, I've heard people talk about other 
cities with maybe more competitive um, design communities. Um, I think the thing that has made Chicago strong is the folks who are willing to support and open their doors and ask questions. Um, one of my, one of the other members of the Post family and a dear friend of mine, Chad Corey, I remember one of, one of the things he said early on to the rest of us in the group, um, we were talking about oh, who might we want to talk to as designers. And Chad was always fearless and he continues to be fearless. He's like, if there's someone you want to talk to, just reach out, send them an email or, or call them. These people that we hold in on high pedestals, a lot of them are just very accessible and want to share what they know and want to teach and want to impart knowledge. And, you know, I, and he's made his whole sort of artistic practice and career based on that, not based on that, idea, just like connecting with people. And that spirit, I think, I've never not seen it in Chicago. The idea that you've got people doing really interesting, amazing, edgy, or thoughtful things. And so much of Chicago's design community seems to have an open door. And, you know, I remember Rick Valicenti was one of these people early on where, you know, he's an individual you read about in the, um, in certain graphic design history books. And he, as a figure, seemed untouchable. But then you shoot him a note and he takes you into what was Thirst studio at the time and he'd walk you through his process and posters and prints and just be completely open door to describing what it is he did they did his studio did and that was awesome and i and i think there still is that experience where people want to invite folks in people want to share people don't want to protect and and sort of hold close they want to um have dialogue and they want to teach and they also want to learn from each other and to me, that is this, um, I don't know, it's kind of like a, a humble and uh, it's a humble vibe. It's a strong work ethic and it's just a general excitement for the things people are doing. And I think that is like this, this pervasive attitude that I, I don't think has ever gone away as long as I've been in Chicago, even though the community has certainly shifted dramatically over the years um but i think that threat is always there and i think that seems to be the thing that pulls people in and makes them excited about chicago um i remember when tanner moved here from the west i forget which state he was in but i remember the first show tanner did when the design museum was sort of a traveling exhibit and it was just the, the overall sense was great. Here's a new person in the city that wants to do some things and everybody just sort of rallied around and embraced. And um, I, I hope that Chicago still feels that way to people who are either, um, who are coming into the community, whatever that means, um, whether they're from a different city or uh, other, other walks of life within Chicago in general, I hope that we continue to keep that sort of continue to keep and grow and evolve our level of inclusivity. Because I, I do think um, in a lot of ways, I feel like I'm rambling a little bit, but I, I feel like the um, sort of exclusive club vibe that can be prevalent in any profession, but definitely in the design field, um, I, I, think we're getting better and moving away from that that and be really cognizant of, of being sure people feel welcome 
Yeah. Yeah. One of the, one of the overly ambitious goals that the design club has is we want to, I think Chicago has a very rich history when it comes to design and that's a fact. Mm -hmm. And when I'm, when I speak with people that are outside of Chicago that don't live here, I don't think that always comes across. I think there's a, there's a bit of like, um, it's difficult to like understand or, or it doesn't come across as like easily as like, you know, yeah, Chicago is like a hub of creativity. And I think one of the things that I really, really like, like, like to do, and I think about all the time is how could we work together as a community to, to have Chicago have a bigger place in the map of not just the country, but the world. Um, like how could we make people like want to move here because they know that we have all of these things and, and that's just something that I don't think I've, I, I don't, I don't have an answer to, but it's something that I think about all the time. And I think a big part of it to your point is it just goes back to the people that are here. And I think there are a lot of people that just have like their opens their arms wide open, just ready to like embrace other people and to welcome them and to share what they know. Um, but I want to go back to some of what you were saying about Chicago being unique in certain aspects. Why do you think that is? Do you think Chicago is, do you think it has something to do with the geography and the way, and the fact that, you know, where we're located, do you think that plays a role in how this community operates or, or exists? I, you know, I, I mean, going back to your, your comment about making Chicago, making sure it has a place on the international design map. I think one of the things we don't do as, this is such a broad generalization, but I mean, I, we, there's not a lot of standing up, chest thumping, shouting about the work we make and, mm-hmm. you know, uh, screaming it from the mountaintop there I, I again I think that goes back to a little bit of reserve a little bit of a humble attitude even in the best or most progressive or most interesting work happening in the city at any time it's kind of it's kind of quiet and I don't know if it's geography or maybe it's that I, I think there's a there's a very specific thing you think about if you're going to go to New York and compete and work in that field and or the same thing in a San Francisco or in LA or you know maybe 10 at some point Minneapolis right I don't I don't know what it is about Chicago but maybe it's partially that there isn't this reputation broadly that you're going to come into this community and you're going to do this sort of work or that sort of work or have to compete in sort of way or that sort of way and it's kind of this nice discovery that there is, there's a design, there's an art, there's a tremendous music, there's a great advertising, there's a great architecture, like just design community in general. And maybe the fact that it's a little bit under the radar draws certain people in, surprises you when you see it, but then you embrace that side of it. You don't, it's, I don't know. I, I don't have an answer to that. It's just sort of this, you hear a lot of people say, well, it's a Midwestern city. It's got that Midwestern work ethic. I don't know what that necessarily means because I think all of the other communities, all of the other cities we're talking about, people work incredibly hard. People don't not dig in and, and focus on their craft or, or their concept, 
So I don't know if the quote unquote Midwestern work ethic is a thing. I just think there's a humbleness here. And I think for me, that combined with people who are passionate about what they do and open to learning, wanting to learn and teach each other creates a certain, a certain, um, a certain uh, vibe. Yeah. Yeah. I like that you like the whole working class, like, or just like the work ethic. I think when I think of that humility, I, 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 I see it parallel to like just a blue collar mentality of, you know, at least, at least when I'm working at my day job, I've noticed that there's like our teams all, all across the country are great, but there's something about the Chicago team that always stands out. And that is that, um, well, for one, and this is just speaking for me speaking from my, my peers is that some of us come from that blue collar, like background where we were raised in that, you know, in that fashion of, you know, work hard and that's, that's what you do. So I don't know if that has something to do with it. I also, a part of me, also thinks that the winter plays a role because winters are sort of like toughing you up, I think. <laughs> and and it makes you, I don't know, a little bit more resilient to, to, to things, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> it's uh, got to buckle down for six months over the year. And, and uh, yeah. And then celebrate when that winter goes away. I, yeah, I don't know. I, I would say that, you know, it's a, I think it's an honor and an extreme privilege to be able to be in this profession, like to be able to make, create, learn the things we do. Um, it certainly is a, you know, it, it, it is a, it is a privilege. And I, and I want to see more people get into this profession. Um, but it's also very difficult. I think it's a very extremely difficult um, field to be in because mm -hmm. we are, working for clients we're constantly getting feedback we're constantly putting ideas out there we're laboring over our craft whatever that craft is and then we're shifting and pivoting and changing and you know it's and and then at the same time for all we are asked to do in terms of being pragmatic and uh focused on the user and, and making sure our work is solving business challenges. We're also asked to put our heart and soul into the work and put emotion into the work in, in certain instances. And again, that's really difficult. So yeah. partially what I love about Chicago and, and I layer on top of all of that, a supportive community. And that's awesome because yeah. why wouldn't we want that to help each other learn and grow and navigate and, and learn to, um, navigate the challenges of this profession. Having mm -hmm. a community that supports each other in that endeavor is pretty great. Yeah, I agree. So, so I like that you meant. I like that you brought up that our profession could at times be, be chaotic, and I always, I always think that sometimes designers or, or I think one of one of our superpowers is that we tend to sometimes be sent like we're just sensitive people like we're we're easily attuned to what's around us and i think that's why we're good at what we do is because we could pick up on the little things that you know visually you know make a make a really big difference so so my question for you is in a in a world that at times just feels so chaotic and polarized how do you where do you draw hope from 
Hmm. Um, I think there are so many ways to answer that. I, I do think that I have, having seen people, I think that everything we do in, well, every, everything that we do as humans, but even, but in this profession too, is about connections and it's about relationships and it's about building those connections and understanding each other at whatever level that is, whether it's, you know, peers, friends, colleagues, clients. Um, and I do, you know, we're in a changed virtual world. You and I are sitting here talking on Zoom right now, but I do feel like people want to make those in-person connections again. And mm -hmm. um, Matt Hoffman, he recently had an opening at um, his You Are Beautiful headquarters, and it was so great to see people come out and people were talking and um, ta pushing each other and challenging each other and making new connections. And I, and I, I personally like in this moment right now, that desire for people to be back together, get a lot of hope from that. Yeah. I, and I, and I also, so that's on one standpoint, I think something that is, that is just great to see again, yeah. people to be back in person. Yeah. I also think that from a design standpoint, there's a lot that is wrong in the world. There's a lot that needs fixing, but there's an open and active, there are open and active conversations and efforts to change things and experiment and figure out how we can make things, how we can look at sort of the privilege and the power we have as designers and use that for, um, designing and creating the world we want to live in around us. And, and for as slow as progress can seem at times, I think the fact that there's an ever broadening awareness of the power and the potential for design to help, as well as an awareness of how design can hurt. Um, those are, you know, the concept of ethics and responsibility and accessibility um, that it's so forefront in so many designers' minds right now is wonderful because it's just, it's it's no longer becoming this, um, uh, becoming a series of initiatives. It's becoming the way we act and think and create and make. That's hugely helpful because it just becomes a part of an ever maturing practice. And that I think, you know, paves the way to a stronger community, stronger sense of responsibility in the future. Mm -hmm. And ha have you, and I'm sure your answer is going to be, is going to be yes, but I'm very interested in understanding how the past three years now with the pandemic, how that shifted your point of view on design and perhaps, because I think for some designers, design is such a interwoven discipline that it's just it it's our life and it's what we think about and it's what how we perceive the world so how has the last three years or so now shifted the way that shifted the relationship be, between design and like your personal life oh so i mean yeah i guess really specifically i think um specifically talking about design and personal life um 
you know, working in the space I'm sitting in right now for two and a half years, not really going back into the studio and conducting everything on Zoom. I'm sure like a lot of people, there are great pros to working remote. There are also great cons because when do you actually shut off? And I do think, you know, Christian, I'm, I definitely fall into the camp you just described, like the things I'm interested in are it's graphic design and I'm, you know, not a musician. I don't, the thing that that's my hobby as well as the thing I do professionally and the thing, and I, the thing I love. So it's not like there's ever a complete off switch, mm -hmm. but at the same time, you realize there need to be boundaries between your professional job and, and your personal life. And that was, for me, that was really hard Mm -hmm. throughout the pandemic, working remote, working across different time zones to make space for that. So, you know, I think one of the things that, to be totally honest, in the past few months, I've tried to get much better at is putting up limitations around when you switch from one design mode to dad mode, to teacher mode, to husband mode, to friend mode, and making sure that there's time carved out to make those switches. I mean, I, I I would say there was a moment where I realized, man, I'm in this room very late every day and I'm kind of missing these moments with my daughter mm -hmm. and realizing, oh, that's in my power to figure out where to draw that line. And that means having a different relationship with working remote and, and being plugged into Zoom constantly. I don't know if that answers your question. Yeah, not it. It does, because I, I, I think that's something that many of us probably struggle with is like the the, the the boundary becomes so blurred where you you no longer know like like you said like which mode you're in yep. and I think it's uh and from my experience like it could become very debilitating when you when you don't know like when to take the hat off but to put on the other hats absolutely so, absolutely so yeah I, I think for me it's it's just a ongoing practice I don't think there's like a hard answer of this is how it's done I think it's it's going to shift day to day and I don't know but yeah it's something something that I'm always trying to sort of deal with in my mind is that balance mm -hmm. yeah so um so I want to talk a little bit about design culture uh I think design shapes culture and also culture shapes design and it's this ongoing two-way conversation between the two and I I sometimes feel like in our discipline in our profession the culture could sometimes be um, overtly toxic but in a way that seems like it's positive or like this like idea of like toxic positivity where we just had we're, we're faced with this endless feed of just non-stop like pressure to create and to make because you know we're, we're connected to our devices and I think social media plays a huge role in in culture and trends and, and all that stuff so so I want to hear from you on that relationship between design and culture and culture and design and, and what that means to you? I, I this is, this is a, for some reason, a, a hard one for me to answer um, because I know like everything you just said, design shapes culture. Yeah. I mean, one, 100%. I, 
I think design can reflect and express culture. Yeah. And I think that, you know, th there are so many ways to define design or many ways to define graphic design. And I, but I think, you know, even going back to our conversation around design and music culture, like that's a very different mode of design than let's say creating uh, an app that's gonna serve millions of people and making sure that design is is doing its job to draw in, clarify, make something functional, et cetera. Um, I don't know, this, this is a very vague answer, Christian, but I, I just feel like at any given moment of, of time when we're thinking about what's important in society and when we're you know right now thinking about what design can do to either draw in and support or repel um, in, in all the ways you can define that, uh, you know, design for me is, a, is, is, is this reflection of the things we're thinking about and the things we hold societally as values. And that sort of drives what it is we're doing. Um, I think that's a non-answer, but I don't know how else I'd answer that. No, I, 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 I like that answer. And it reminds me of, so we had Nick Adam as a guest a few months ago. And, and one of the things that really stood out to me that, that he, that he writes on his website is that he, he, he looks at the, that the role of a designer as someone that re that mirrors truth and is that reflection. And I think that sort of correlates with, with what you're saying right now is that design essentially is this mirror that's just reflecting what it's looking at and vice versa. So, so there's, the, there's this thing that we say and uh, believe in very deeply when, when we're working with a client at the studio and, and whenever we're talking about brand in particular um you know we're the way i would think about brand is we had a lot of people coming to us and say i want branding and i want a logo and you know i think so many of the folks listening to this you we all know that that's not you know really what brand is and part of brand is it's truth right it's yeah. exactly what you just said nick says it's what does it mean what do you believe in and how does that come to life what is that what is the experience of a brand? And then for me, visual design, or let's say even like service and experiential design is a reflection of something that is true at its core. And I think that's the thing that, you know, companies and individuals and communities and what, all of those things that can fall into this concept of brand need to figure out. And if you are really, you know, if you're a designer, if you're a graphic designer and you're trying to express something and you want it to resonate and you want it to connect and you want it to really solve whatever challenge it is you're solving, it has to be a reflection of that truth. And I think that's mm -hmm. a beautiful way of thinking about it. You know, mm -hmm. the, you, we're, not, we're not in the job of putting pretty veneers on top of things. We're in mm -hmm. the job of making sure that what we see and feel visually is again an expression, it's a reflection. And when we're doing that, well when we're doing that right and we're making decisions in service of that that's when really interesting powerful work that has emotion and heart and soul comes out because it feels like it's part of the emotion heart and soul of whoever it is we're working with or working for to mm -hmm. apply our skills as graphic designers too yeah yeah definitely and is there anything in particular that you see happening today in design whether it's design studios or other designers that's just really 
that's really keeping you inspired and excited? Um, any studios or just anything in general that you feel like is, uh, you know, doing things really, really well? I mean, I think inspired and excited for me, there are a couple ways to think about this. Like I am not to say this to you on this podcast, but to say it, like I'm really interested to see what people are doing to self-organize and create new communities and create communities that are relevant to, mm-hmm. um, to you know, to your, to your, I, would you even call Chicago Graphic Design Club? Would you call it membership? No, I mean, it's, it's, it's a group and you're just having important conversations around what's relevant in design right now. That's great. Yeah. I find that super inspiring. I find, you know, going back to, I think questions about design history, I think questions about design um, responsibility and power, inclusivity and exclusivity. I think the fact that, again, those are top of mind. And it's not just thinking about what is accessible design to a broad audience, but it's going back to the root of the way we approach the things we do and the histories we've learned about the things that we do and reevaluating that. It's, it's, it's thrilling. It's this huge pivot point in our profession. You know, maybe four or five years ago, there were so many conversations around how do we, uh, what does it mean to be a designer? What does it mean to practice this craft or move into um, research or, you know, I'll stop listing all the ways you can define design. But I think layered on top of that right now, the idea that we're fundamentally questioning the things that we have held true about this um, profession, it's it's awesome. Uh, Matt Wazinski's book, uh, The uh, Design after capitalism absolutely like those those conversations are wonderful to see and i and i just think the fact that we're all i think many of us are attuned to those and thinking at that level it's getting to a more critical evaluation of our field and i think that's that's really exciting and it's about time yeah i i i I really enjoyed his book and i and i like that throughout the book he has these anecdotes of um like the book feels very punk rock, like it has yeah. attitude, but totally. it also, but it also feels academic and it, it and it just like treads this, this, this like boundary of academic and also like just very rebellious and like it has this like strong force, which I, which I love to see. And I think that's something that also really, really excites me is that when you see sort of like even design history, um, like some of it, I think over the past couple of years is is beginning to crumble, and be, because there's 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 just parts of it that are excluding so much. Oh my god! That, that played such a in, like a huge role in in the work that we do today, and it's stuff that I never even knew about. So um, so that that keeps me excited. Sort of relearning the basics or relearning what I thought was true. And uh, and just putting it within a new context. So I mean that that was one of the before I hit a pause on teaching. Um, one of the last classes I taught at DePaul, and it was for two quarters as I was teaching graphic design history one, and just realizing, huh, I'm teaching the things that I've learned over time, but also so much of it is rooted in that sort of. Swiss modernist design education I received and grew up around and realizing that like, oh, wow, there's like so much self-education I need to do mm-hmm. to actually broaden my perspective 
and highly aware that that was a need, but also realizing like, you know what? I shouldn't be teaching graphic design history right now. I am absolutely the wrong person to be doing it because I need to educate myself a little mm -hmm. bit more to be remotely prepared to have a voice that is encompassing essentially visual communication around the globe and thinking about exclusion and inclusion and appropriation and everything down the line. And I was so happy to like, that was part of the reason why I stopped. I was like, this is yeah. not my thing to teach right now. I need to learn a bit more. And I think that people like watching many, many, many people be, recept re be receptive to that concept where it's it's time to reconsider. That's inspiring. That's yeah. because, because we're going to, as a as a profession find hopefully a new path or we're, we're going to take a turn this way or that and it's like we don't know where it's going to go that's yeah. really fascinating yeah i was teaching um color theory last year and even just teaching color theory was at times i felt a little bit uncomfortable telling students why this color theory is right and why sure. red means this and why it should mean this and uh and yeah it was it was so odd because <laughs> because you sort of take these take these things as like the gospel and this is absolute. the absolute truth yeah. and the only way to do this even typography i think there's you know there's so many different ways to approach it and and so many rules i think that uh that we just accept as reality and yeah. And typically when we break those rules, it leads to, in my opinion, more exciting work. Absolutely. Absolutely. Not always. And what's what and I think what's interesting based on what you just said is not only more exciting work, but the ability to embrace mistakes and learn yeah, that are exactly. wrong as long as we're taking the risk and putting ourselves out there to try something new in the spirit of progress and change. Yeah. It's not always going to be the right solution, but that's part of again, that's what we do as designers. Yeah. Try something, experiment, prototype, test it, learn, go back to the drawing board. And it feels like we're in a moment where that is um happening just on so many levels within what we do. Yeah. Definitely. So we're almost at time, but I I want to ask you just a few more questions. And one of them is specific to our listeners. And our listeners range from we have design leaders, students, practitioners, enthusiasts, you name it. And I want to know, as you being a design leader, are there any call to actions for other design leaders, things that you that you feel like design leaders should be doing more in our profession? I think I think being able to really explain the value of what we do and the responsibility of design and the responsibility of written and visual communication and make sure that our, our clients, however we define that, you know, for some of us, those are corporate clients, for others, those are, uh, you know, cultural institutions or each other, but to make sure that people understand the power, potential and dangers and also dangers of mm -hmm. design and visual communication when we're not thinking about the things we should be thinking about in terms of clarity of message or accessibility. And when we're thinking about the right audiences to speak to, we have our jobs cut out for us to make sure that isn't just an insular conversation, but a conversation and a point of view and a perspective that we are 
sharing with those we're working for and making mm -hmm. sure they value it at the same level. Mm -hmm. I can think of um, a few times recently where, uh, and this is a very specific example, but conversations around, let's say, accessibility of a website with a client. And then the client is say, has said something to the effect of, well, that's that's not really important to me. And that's, it's, it's our job as design leaders on the yeah. front lines and making sure our work is valued for its strategy, for its power, for its impact, for its heart and soul, but also that lever. Like, sorry, lever is the wrong word. That that lens, making sure that people understand, it isn't trivial to think about how people engage with our design work. It's it's hugely important, and we're at the front lines of making sure that this this work reaches and connects with as many people as it's supposed to, and making sure people outside of our profession understand the thought of ethics, the, the, the thoughts of ethics, the thoughts of responsibility we have and the work we do has. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's our job to make sure that that's an elevated conversation. Yeah. And I guess on the other side of the spectrum, so we, we're talking about people, like we're talking about design leaders. What about for younger folks that are perhaps fresher into their careers, um, that are perhaps still finding their voice mm -hmm. or their visual language? Uh, what would you, what would you say to them? I would say seek out as many opportunities to learn from others as possible. Mm -hmm. And I, I think what's really interesting watching some of the old institutions like AIGA, I don't know if I'll say dissolve, but I just said dissolve. I don't really know. It, it's interesting to watch what happens there and then watch what you all are doing with your community. Um, but the thing that was great for me about AIGA early on in my career was it was an open door to a lot of people. Mm -hmm. And I don't think we need that formal infrastructure anymore. But I will say it made it it certainly made it easy to meet and talk to people because it forced um, environments where you could do that. And then mm -hmm. I also think, you know, as I've said before, that's what I love about Chicago. We the community is an environment where people can connect. And, you know, at the time when we were doing host family, that was a huge part of it, making sure people had a place to connect. I think as we've moved through the pandemic, as we're getting our feet wet and figuring out how much in-person versus remote we want to do, I do think it's made those connections both easier and more difficult to build. Mm -hmm. So a, a colleague of mine at the studio, um, Bianca Smith and Nick Brismeyer and a host of other people they're working with have this thing on Slack called Distant Community. And I think that was very much our response to build connections in a pretty isolated world. Um, I think that's wonderful. And I think young designers need to seek out opportunities like that where you can make those connections, but then also reach out to the people you wanna to talk to, reach out to your mentors, reach out to your peers and like learn, ask questions, try things and fail. I think the most dangerous thing you can do early on your on in your career is not seek out those learning opportunities yeah. because it's the thing that inspires you. It's like it's like reading a book. It's just like getting more knowledge, more experiences, more perspectives. Even if you don't agree with those perspectives, it's helpful to build up that experience and that exposure. And I think just you know, kind of be bold and fearless. It doesn't mean you have to be loud, 
but like go out and meet people and, and, yeah. and engage. And I also think if people don't want to engage with you, if if there's a design hero that does not want to share perspective, um, shame on them. I, I and you know, t- you learn from the people who want to teach and work with you and find those people as fast as you can. Yeah, definitely. I like that answer. Um, all right. So uh, thank you so much. I want to ask you just one last question. It's yeah. not design related. Uh, what's keeping you inspired lately? Any movies, music? What are you, what what sort of media are you consuming lately? I, I when I was prepping for this for this conversation, I I found your, I, I think it was like your Bandcamp profile. Oh, <laughs> and and I and I noticed that you 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 have a quite a collection of, you you have quite a collection of albums uh, of bands and artists that are all new to me. So I think you're safe to say like music is a it plays a big role in 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 your life. So anything specific that you want to mention or any anyone that you want to shout out. I, uh, so music is, I'm massively interested in music. Um, I find it still fascinating that you can either stream or buy somebody's heart and soul and piece of artwork for, you know, 10 to 20 to $30. I just, I love that concept. And, and, you know, this, we shouldn't get into a whole conversation around making a living in the music industry. I won't go there, but um, <laughs> what am I interested? So uh, one, of, one of the folks at the studio, um, Ted Flynn, just released a record of just beautiful instrumental post-rock uh, under the name Lost Lemming. I think it's great. And I just, I also love people close to me that are making music that I'm just like, oh, this is amazing. And it's been on heavy repeat for me. Uh, James Johnston, someone in our studio, he's a musician. He's got multiple bands, including Bumpus. And just to see like how much he focuses on keeping that part of what he does alive is really great. Um, It's so, so inspiring. Um, From like a music standpoint, what am I listening to right now? I don't know. I, <laughs> that's a part of this to edit out. Like I'm so bad <laughs> at dropping like new things that I'm I'm uh, that I'm really interested in. Um, I'm going through like a quiet, static, staticky, droney phase, um, and also like getting a little nostalgic for bands like Yola Tango, which their new record I absolutely love. Um, and uh, oh, there's a new Kylie Malone record, which is just a series of it's like drones and organ music and uh, Lucy Railton, who's a cellist, I think out of Berlin, she's on it. I absolutely love that album. It's wonderful. It's wonderful. Who was that? Ky- it was not Kylie Minogue, right? No, not Kylie. <laughs> no, Kylie Malone. Yeah. Okay, nice. I'm a fan but of- But I also wrote it. I, I deeply love pop music. <laughs> yeah. I would not, not, I wouldn't hesitate to talk about Kylie Minogue. <laughs> No, she's been, I, I've always been a fan of hers and I've been re like reacquainting myself with her music. And I think her early stuff is just fabulous. So <laughs> great. Awesome. Well, this was such a great conversation and I just want to mention that I'm very thankful that you took the time to do this. You've been a supporter of the club for, for, for some time now. And, and I look forward to hopefully doing more collaborations in the future. And I also want to mention for anyone that's listening is you're very easy to get a hold of. So if anyone wants to reach out to you with any questions, what's the best way for them to do that? 
I would just uh, shoot me an email, David at one design company, all spelled out dot com and um, completely open door. Would love to talk to anybody who wants to chat about design or Chicago or anything in between. Awesome. Great. Well, thank you so much, David. This was a pleasure. And like I said, I look forward to, to keeping in touch. Christian, like I said, I love what you all are doing, building this new community and again, making sure that the community is relevant and um, in current. So love what y'all are doing. Awesome. Thanks.